there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 62 and today I'm going to be talking with my 21-year-old daughter Imogen. We're going to be talking about her dreams. She finished university last year and yes, she's following some of her dreams. I'm going to be talking about how parents can support their adult children. It's a case, I think, of having to keep on trusting that our children will get where they want to go. Yes, the official age for schooling is over, but we have to keep on trusting. So, welcome to my podcast, Imogen. Thank you for having me. Perhaps we could start by you giving us a few details of what you were doing last year. So last year was my last year of a Bachelor in Professional Writing and Publishing, which was a three-year course which I was doing full-time. And I finished that in November, which was my big achievement. So you finished in November. How did you feel when you finished? A great sense of relief and also satisfaction. Relief because three years is a very long time to be studying for and also satisfaction that I'd actually achieved it and I got to the end. Did you enjoy your course? Oh, I did very much, yes. So writing is one of your passions? That's one of my biggest passions, yes. And what's the other one? My other big passion is music. Now, you finished in November just before Christmas, and did you head out the door looking for a job? No, I didn't. <laughs> Why is that? Because what I decided was I just spent three years in university full-time. There's not a lot of time for doing anything outside of study, and I had a lot of ideas for things that... I wanted to do connected with my passion and hadn't had time to follow up. So having finished my degree, I decided that I wasn't going to go and get a job straight away because I wanted to take some time out and explore my passions and where they could go. It's nice to have some free time, isn't it, to put a few ideas into action, try things out. Oh, it is. Very rarely that we have such free time. You think it's important for parents to support children when they want to do this? I think it's really important for parents to support the children, especially because it's not a usual thing to do, and most a lot of people don't understand it, but also because it's a time when you're most vulnerable when you're trying out things, and you really need people around you to support you and try and understand what you're doing. So if you had gone out the door looking for a job, you probably wouldn't have had time to put some of these projects into action, would you? No, it would be just like when I was studying, you wouldn't have time to do anything really. What do you think people think of you staying at home and working on these various projects? I'm not sure, but I'm not sh quite sure that everybody under quite understands what I'm trying to do. A lot of people keep saying to me, what's Imogen doing now that she's finished university? And I think they expect me to say, she's got a job with this company or that company and she's getting a regular wage. Yes, and to most people, I just come under the category of unemployed but you didn't describe yourself as unemployed on your blog. I read one of your blog posts maybe a couple of weeks ago, a very interesting one about you. I mean, it's very interesting for a mother to go to her daughter's blog and to find out what her daughter is saying about herself, how she's describing herself. And I was rather impressed by what you said. How did you describe yourself? I described myself as a writer and musician, albeit an unpaid one. So even if you're not earning money from writing and your music at the moment, it doesn't take away from the fact that you are a writer and you are a musician, does it? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, the fact that you might get paid for this 
doesn't come into the, uh, into whether you are one or not. So a career isn't just about money. No, a career to me is about doing something that you're interested in and you're passionate about. You can be earning all the money in the world and it doesn't mean that you're happy in your job. Money doesn't equal job satisfaction. I would rather be doing something that at the moment I'm not earning anything for, but that I really love doing. So I think a lot of people would equate success with a good wage. You did a university degree, you get a good job, it's well paying, and you're there, you're all set for life. You're only going to go one way and that's up. Financially secure. Do you think so? I think so. It's most people's ideas. It is. Not ours. (laughs) So how are you living at the moment? You have no real wage, do you? No, I don't. And at the moment I'm living very frugally. I'm very lucky that I don't actually spend a lot outside of my hobbies and or pursuits so what I have saved is more than enough for me at the moment and if and when I eventually run out of money I'll just go out and find some way to break some more so I can keep going bit of money here and there yes you're earning a little bit of money just by giving music lessons aren't you I am so you have that skill but we're not great spenders are we (laughs) (laughs) we don't go out doing big shops we're not shop people no? no, not at all. We don't go around all the fashion shops every Saturday and we have to buy something. We're not really very fashion conscious, are we? No, which is slightly difficult actually when it comes to making videos like I'm doing with my music at the moment because you have to dress up nicely. And if you have no idea about fashion like I do, coming up with a nice outfit to wear is more than slightly difficult. It's a bit of a challenge. Hey? It is. We've been discussing this amongst ourselves, haven't we? Trying to come up with some nice ideas to make you look good and, I suppose, fashionable, appealing to people of your age, maybe. But also true to my own style. Yes, because you have your own ideas. Now, a lot of young people do have a gap year, don't they? They do. They go from school and then they have a year where they maybe travel and don't earn a lot of money explore different areas, have time to themselves before they jump into university. Well, you didn't have that gap here. You went straight from unschooling straight into university, and you even then you did multiple things. You didn't just do university, did you? No, I didn't. I had plenty of other things to do around there. Had all your music exams, your music practices, no holidays for three years. So I don't really think it's that bad to take a year off and live on your savings and explore your dreams. So, a year. Do you think that's your time frame for exploring your dreams? I think that a year will probably give me a good idea of whether what I'm doing is going to work or not. You can't really decide on less than a year because it's such a short amount of time in the in the grand scheme of things. But after a year, definitely I'll have an idea of where, where I'm going with it, whether it's something I can continue following. And we talked about following your dreams. We haven't actually said exactly what you're doing. Now, I interviewed you, didn't I, in November as a video. It's on YouTube. And we talked about all these issues there. So if people are interested, they can go and watch my video. I think it's called After University Following Your Dreams or something like that. So what are you doing, Imogen? At the moment, I'm following up um, some of my writing passion and working on my books But the main thing I'm doing at the moment is I'm trying to build myself a career as an online musician, which at this very moment means that I'm trying to start a successful YouTube channel and make music videos. 
And how's it all going? I think it's all going really well at the moment. I mean, I've only just started out. I've got five videos out, I think. But everyone has been very positive about it and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, which is, to me, probably the biggest thing. So describe the process of making a music video. What are the steps involved? Choose a song and, for me, I have to pick some very specific songs um, for the way I sing. Well, let's stop there and tell us a little bit about the way you sing. What, what qualities in your voice determine the songs that you can sing? Well, one of the big factors is partially the training that I've had. I am, I'm a classically trained singer, so I sing with a lot of technique and, a lot of, and in a very specific style, which doesn't always suit all the modern music and the style of that and I have been told that it has a very sort of pure sound to it so it's pure clear very very technical very high so I have to take all those factors into consideration when I'm picking out a song because not every song is going to suit what I can do and if I tried it I wouldn't do the song justice so pick a song and then learn it which includes the accompaniment part because I record all my own accompaniments. Can we stop a minute and go backtrack a bit, picking the song? Can you tell me a bit about copyright? Because that's been an issue as well, hasn't it? Yes. To legally do uh, music on YouTube, and especially cover music, you have, to, you have to have a legal agreement that you can post it. And one of the easier ways to do that, there is a website called We Are The Hits, which has an agreement with a lot of big recording companies where they will monetize or put ads on your video and some of the revenue will go back to the copyright owner. Some of it will go to the website that's helping you with this and most of it will go to you. And this way you can legally post the music and you can legally earn money off it and you won't have to worry about anything to do with copyright. So, so far you've chosen copyright-free music, haven't you, as a starting point? Yes, But you're getting into the copyright music from now on, aren't you? Yes, yes. So you've gone through all the legal issues, you've done your research, and now you have a, a broader range of music to pick from because you know the legal issues and what you can and cannot do. Yes, and that is one of the considerations you have to remember when you're picking music is, can I do this legally? So you've chosen your piece of music. I interrupted you there. What do you do next? Then... I learn the music, so the vocal part or parts. Occasionally I've arranged my own harmonies for it. That really impresses me. I think that's really very clever, probably because I have no idea how you would do that. So you write that music yourself to go with the main melody line? Yes, I do. How many parts do you write? It depends on the piece. I can write anywhere up to, so far I've written anywhere up to about four different parts for any one song. So that's called your own arrangement, is that right? Yes. So you've been writing your music as well as singing it? Yes, I have. How did you learn the skills to do that? That was actually through some of my piano training, as well as the practical side of learning the piano. Because I went through piano exams, in the later exams you also had to do a theory component called musicianship, where you would take tests and learn about the different parts that make up music. So chords, harmonies, writing keys, transposing music and it was something that I chose to do but it was also something that I didn't enjoy as much and I didn't, if I'm very honest, at the time I wasn't sure where I was going to use it apart from the fact that I was going to progress with my piano 
But now I'm really glad that that was something I chose to do because I'm using all those skills to write my own parts and do my own things in the, in the songs I'm doing now. That's a useful thing to be able to do yourself. You don't have to get anyone in or to get find the music done for you. Yes, that's right. Your own interpretation. So you've got the piece of music and you've done the arrangements and you've been recording it, yes? Yes, so record the music and then mix the music. Oh, first of all, go back a bit. How about the piano bit? You've been doing the piano yourself as well. Yes, I have. Um, so you're a pianist as well as um, a singer. Yes, which I actually find quite funny because if you'd asked me a couple of years ago what kind of a musician I was, I would have automatically just said singer because I've learned a lot of piano. But for me, singing always came first. I enjoyed the piano, but it certainly wasn't my first musical love. And now I do both. I do the accompaniment and I do the vocals. So totally your own work when you're putting together the music. Yes. So you've re practiced the vocals, you've practiced the piano, you've recorded both? Yes. Using your own equipment at home? Yes. I have my own microphone and recording booth set up. So I'll spend a, I'll spend a morning recording that, and then I'll mix the track. So make sure all the voices and different parts are at the right levels. Everything sounds nice, and then I get into planning the video itself, and that starts with really picking out a location for it. I'm very lucky with where we live. There are lots of nice places. One of the places we've been recording most at the moment is in a nature reserve nearby, which is beautiful. It has a river, lots of bush parts, huge gum trees, and it's just a beautiful place to set music videos and then plan the other parts of it, so like the outfit or wear, because the visual side of what I look like is very important in this in making music videos. And obviously, as, as we mentioned earlier, this can be a bit of a trial because we're not very good with fashion. I think, <laughs> I think you've done a good job. I think you look very attractive. I have a lot of help. And then when we've got all that planned, we tee up a time and Team Elvis goes out to record. And we've been going out first thing in the morning before it gets light, haven't we, to be on location as the sun comes up. Yes, as Sophie, who does all my filming for me, tells me that's the best time of day to go out and get good light easily. Also, it means that we get the location to ourselves, don't we? We don't yes. have people walking by or runners running through our video at that time of day. Yes, there are very few people who want to be out at the, at the hours we're out. But it was funny, when I was doing the post-video shoot interview, uh, not this time, but last time, I was, we were sitting at the picnic table having our breakfast and I was asking you questions about how you thought the video shoot had gone and a runner came running through, didn't she? Yes. She's now on YouTube. She doesn't realize it, but she's in our video. <laughs> so I didn't actually notice her at the time. It was only when we were watching the clips later on I saw her there running through in the background. It didn't matter for the behind-the-scenes video or the interview video, but we certainly wouldn't want a runner running through your video, the one that you're going to post on YouTube, yes. as the real thing. <laughs> okay, so that's just basically what you've been doing. Perhaps we can talk now about how you feel about putting your work up there on YouTube. Do you feel that you know everything and that you're putting up your best work up on YouTube? Oh, if I knew everything, I would be amazing, but no. 
know after after what three music videos I don't I definitely don't know everything yet there's a I have a long way to go I think I'm putting out my best work that I can do now so everything I do is to the best of my abilities as they are now but I also have a lot more to learn I know and I think as I keep posting and I keep working and making new videos that everything will get a lot better and the quality will get will go up and it, everything will look nicer and sound nicer and I will definitely be a lot more confident with what I'm doing but it doesn't mean that what I'm doing now isn't any good it's as good as I can do it's worth watching I hope so oh we're all enjoying it <laughs> so you don't feel the need to wait until you're better before putting it up on YouTube that hasn't occurred to you there's always a fear before you begin that you're not going to be good enough and that's what stops a lot of people they're like I don't know enough you know what I, what I make it, it isn't going to be as good as what everyone else is doing but you have to start somewhere because if you always think I'm not good enough I've, I have to wait till I know more then you're never going to start because you never know everything and you actually learn a lot more by doing it than you do by just sort of waiting around and maybe researching a few things it's better to, to practice and produce stuff and put it out and just keep practicing and practicing and you get a lot better that way I mean we've done three videos and already they're noticeably better than my first one I can understand that feeling though of learning on the go it takes a lot of courage to actually put yourself out there in public but it is a wonderful learning experience isn't it oh it is with my podcasting I mean if you go back to episode one which I won't go back and listen to because I probably get very embarrassed. <laughs> but it's certainly different from my latest podcast. I've learned a lot in the 62 episodes that I've been making. But if I had decided that I would wait until I knew all about podcasting, I never would have even begun. You know, if I deleted that first episode thinking it wasn't good enough? Yes. And it's funny how people have got something out of my early podcasts. Nobody came and told me that they were totally useless. Maybe not technically sound. I have learned a lot on the technical side. Yeah, sometimes we're our own worst critic, aren't we? Other people don't see our errors as clearly as we see them. Yes. We get rather too fussy about it. Do you think? Yes, there's always a sense of it's got to be perfect. But in reality, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be as good as you can do. And sometimes we are satisfied at one time and think, wow, we did a great job. And we look back a little bit later and think, oh, no, <laughs> how could I have thought that that was good? Yes. But all that means is that it was good to start with, but we're better now. Exactly. It's looking back and seeing how far you've come. That's right. So we shouldn't be embarrassed looking back, but just be grateful that we continued learning and that we're still going in the right direction. Yes. Now, Sophie had something to say on that matter the other day. She was talking about her photography and what she wants to do in the future. She said, well, I think I'll keep teaching myself, Mum. I'll make a lot of mistakes, but I hope people will forgive me for them because she wants to go out there in public as well. Learn on the job. I think it's a wonderful way to learn. I think it is. You can learn so much just by doing what you want to do. Now, you obviously had a lot of musical training growing up, yes? Yes, I did. I was very lucky that way. Tell me about your teachers. So I've had the most training in piano. I started when I was very young and I've had about four piano teachers and they have all been very amazing people from my very first one who, met, who knew how to make piano fun and appealing to the absolutely amazing musicians I was lucky enough to learn with later on. 
and I always learned classical piano, so it's not always the style that I play now, but one of the things about learning piano that way and doing exams as I always have done is that it gives you a very good technical foundation and it really teaches you to look at the music and look at the style and really understand what it's all about, which is so important now. A lot of people criticize the way that you've been learning piano. You focus on, say, six pieces of music for the year. Yes? Yes. And you have to get them to a standard where they're perfect, or almost perfect, don't you? Yes, you do. Very, very fussy on all the little technical details. Your piano teacher never seems satisfied, or well, she never did seem satisfied. There was always something else to work on. Yeah? Yes. Did you get fed up with that at times? At times, yes, because it, it was that sense of perfectionism, and, and, so, and it always seemed so far away that the piano teacher would sit down and just, you know, play a couple of bars, and you'd have been working on it for nine months ago. I still can't play as nice as that. And I honestly get where these people are coming from, and sometimes when I was in the middle of it, nothing seemed to be going right. Sometimes I think, oh, I wish I could just play for fun. But at the same time, it's actually really worth it. And most, most of the time I did recognize that, because preparing music to that high standard means that one, you have to look at everything very carefully and, and understand what you're doing. And it also means that you don't get lazy and, you know, sort of learn the basic tune and then go, well, I know this piece now because there's so much more to music than that. You're learning it to a high standard. You're learning it to performance grade, not just, you know, bang it out on a piano grade. This is actual proper performance level. So that you're proficient in all the technical details, you think? You've had a good foundation? Yes, I have, I think. And you're glad of all that training? Oh, I really am now. You've had some wonderful teachers, that people that have taught you because of the love of music. They wanted to pass the music on to you rather than to earn a fortune out of it, haven't you? Oh, yes. They've um, been very, very generous with their time and their talents. And one thing I have noticed since you stopped having piano lessons, because you got to eighth grade about a year and a half ago. Yes. Then you had another year of piano lessons, but you didn't actually work for any more exams, did you? Tell me about that year. So after I finished eighth grade, the next level after that is, it's actually quite a high level. It's called a certificate of performance, I believe. And it wasn't something that I felt I was ready to do at that point. I had just finished eight different exams and it was going to be a lot of work to prepare. And I just went, well, it's not something I'm ready for. So I just, but I didn't want to stop my lessons. So I took, just took a year where we played for a bit of fun. We just learned some pieces for repertoire and for improving my technique. So you continued with the same teacher at a high level? Yes, yes. And she still was fussy, wasn't she? Oh, yes. You said she pl you played for fun, but she didn't let you slip with your technique, did oh, she? Oh, no. There was no getting anything past her. It wasn't just sitting there playing a few tunes just to have a bit of fun. She made you work hard at each oh, yes. one. You really do have to work to learn those pieces of music. They're all very difficult. And I did notice that you were enjoying your music or seemed to be enjoying your piano more last year just because you didn't have the exams looming over the top of you? Yes, it was a completely different sense because there was there was no pressing deadline and I had quite a, quite a level of skill at that point where I could sit down and learn something and make it sound like music and just have fun playing it even though I was still working very hard. We, we got to that point where we could just say, yes, this is, this is music for fun as well. 
And this year has been totally different in the last few months, hasn't it? Tell me about how you feel about your piano now, being your second instrument. Considering I've always thought of piano as my second instrument, I actually really love it right now. So I finished piano lessons at the end of last year for a variety of reasons. And the only piano I've done now is whatever I want to do. So I pick my own music, I teach myself, and it has been great. It's very easy to sit down and lose two hours at the piano just playing and learning. And it's not just playing things through, it's sitting down, working out technical things, uh, really practicing hard. But because it's something I want to do and they're pieces I want to do, and also because I have an end goal in mind for it all, it's something I really enjoy doing now. You're very motivated. Yes. You can see a reason for, for what you're doing. Yes, it's always so much easier when you can see where you're going and also see an end result or an end product. So it sounds like it's very satisfying for you. Yes, it is. Now, changing the topic slightly, I want to talk about girls and education. I've heard people say that it's not worth girls going too far in higher education because one day they're going to get married, they're going to have a family, and all those skills will be wasted. Tell me about what you think about that. Honestly, I think that viewpoint is pretty ridiculous for quite a lot of reasons. I mean, until a girl gets married, they are quite entitled to, to learn what they like and do what they like and have a career or have passions or do things that really interest them. And if that requires higher education, then there's no reason why they shouldn't have it. And it might be a while before they get married. And what are you going to do until then? Are you going to sit around and wait for the right man to come along? Well, girls have talents, don't they? They have to use them. Exactly. And you can't sit around waiting. What if nobody arrives? Yes, what if, what if marriage is not what you end up ultimately being called to? Would you want to get married yourself? I think I would like to get married one day. So tell me your ideas about marriage and love. I think that marriage and love is a wonderful thing. And one day I'd like to get married. But until then, until the right person comes, I am also quite happy to wait and follow my passions and my hobbies, my other pursuits, and be patient until the right person comes. And would you say the right person does arrive, right? Yes. Will you give up all your passions, your dreams, your music, your writing? If they're the right person, then I don't think they would ask me to give them up. They're if, part of you? They're a big part of who I am. And if you can't accept that, then you're not accepting a huge part of who I am. Now, I once heard you say that the man that you want to marry has to know where he's going in life too. He has to be someone like you that has passions and interests and... A focus in life, yes? Yes, that's right. You're not just willing to make do with anybody. This person has to be a complement of yourself, maybe. Understand the creative person? Yes. Well, I think it would be very hard to be a creative person and be married to someone who doesn't understand what it's like, you know, to be interested in something, to know where you're going to have a real passion and dream because it's such a big thing for you as a person and if they don't understand it's a big part of you that's not really being understood there. What about children? Now we can't always do what we want. If you get married then a family may be on the horizon, yes? Yes. You can't really get married and think well I'm not going to have children or family. That's just 
not part of married life, is it? It's not part of the deal. No, you've got to be fully open to having a family. Yes. And you want that, I imagine. Oh, yes. But where will your passions come into it when you've got children? You've got other responsibilities. Well, first and foremost, you'd have to consider the children and what's best for the family because if you put yourself above them, and that's also a very selfish thing, I mean, being mothers a lot about being unselfish and giving of yourself and your time for the people in your family. But at the same time, you can also follow some of what you're doing. It does mean that you, that you have a responsibility now to look after your children and to be a mother. But there are ways. There are ways to, to, to keep going with what, with what you want and your own passions. Maybe you have to scale it back, put them on the back burner for a bit, but you don't have to give them up. And you should certainly always keep a passion for something because one day your children are going to be grown up and you have to be a person outside of being a mother as well. Yes, you're talking about what you think will happen. Are you talking, you're not talking from experience, but are you talking from observation? Yes, I am. Or from hope? <laughs> <laughs> a bit of both, a bit of observation and a bit of hope there as well. Talking as a mother, yes, sometimes we do have to sacrifice our own interests for our children and to be willing to do that for a time. But time moves on and opportunities return, don't they? They do. And I've found with my own interests and passions that it's a good thing to have to share with our children. They have to see that good example of a mother fulfilling all her talents, using them. It's the best way for children to learn how to find and follow their own passion is to see what their parents are doing. And as you said, our talents are part of us. It's part of who we are, the people we are, that we should use them still in whatever way we can, to what extent we can at particular moments in time. Exactly. And if it means that you can't do a lot to begin with when children are small and your time's taken up with babies and toddlers, whatever, then that's just something that you have to accept. And I think that if you're going to get married, it's something that it's a reality you've got to understand right from the beginning and accept but it doesn't mean that even if you have to put it on the back burner for a while it doesn't mean that you have to give everything up at all. I think it'd be very sad if when all you children have left home if you ever do because you're still <laughs> lingering around if I was left with nothing to do if I had no interest in anything in particular my whole life had been children how sad it would be when you'd all gone. I think it would be very sad. Yes. Thankfully, you have a lot of your own passions. Oh, well, yes, I do, don't I? And I have been able to share a lot of those with you as well. Yes. It's been very good. I want to talk about Jane Austen now. This leads on to Jane Austen. And I had mentioned in a podcast maybe two or three weeks ago that we were going to watch a movie called Jane Austen Regrets. And I bought the DVD and we all watched it, didn't we? We did. Did you like it? I did enjoy it, yes. Now, it's a biography of Jane Austen, isn't it? Yeah. It tells the story of how Jane Austen refused a proposal of marriage and how she chose her career ahead of that, yes? Yes. I'm not sure if the movie is entirely accurate, but we'll just assume it was, shall we? Yes. Makes it easier. I haven't done the research, even though I, after watching the movie, I wanted to go out and find out more about Jane Austen. Yeah, things like that happen, don't they? Yes. You want to find out more. Was it true? But I haven't actually done it yet. But anyway, some of the ideas... It seems that she chose a career over marriage. But it also seems that if she had found the right person to love, she might have got married, yeah? Yes, she might have. So she wasn't willing to marry 
just anybody. Yeah, she wasn't afraid of being single for her whole life. It wasn't like she was waiting around just to get married and she was going to marry whoever asked her first. Or if you got to a desperate stage, like Charlotte, what was her name? In Charlotte Lucas from Pride and Prejudice. It didn't matter who she married, she just wanted to get married, didn't she, to be secure in life. Yes. And Jane Austen didn't take that pathway. She was a very modern woman for her time, I think. Oh, I think so. Maybe she did regret not having someone to love in the end. The movie sort of made that point, didn't it? Yes, I think it did. But the right person didn't come along. It doesn't always... doesn't always happen. No. And there's nothing wrong with being single and having a career and following your other passions um, if the right person doesn't come along. I mean, you can't just sit around and wait and hope that, and hope that they're going to turn up. You've got to do something in the meantime. And you've got to have something to do with your life. And she left a great legacy, didn't she, with oh, her books? Oh, she did. She was certainly very talented. She used her talents. And she left her mark on the world, even though she never got married. Yes. So for everybody else, it turned out really well, <laughs> even though she might have regretted the fact that she didn't get married and have a family. It did work out well for us. Yes. So quite fascinating that she wrote so well of love without actually experiencing it herself. Yes. Maybe a great observer of human nature. I think she must have been. Anyway, she could be a role model, couldn't she, for the modern <laughs> girl? So I think we've only got one more thing we want to talk about, Imogen. We want to talk about your latest music video. It went live, what, an hour ago? Yep, that's about an hour ago. Tell me. Tell me what it is. What did you sing? So this time's music video is my own arrangement of the folk song Scarborough Fair. And we recorded music video on Monday. This is Wednesday we were recording. So two days ago, we went down to the nature reserve early in the morning and recorded it, yes? Yes, we did. Now tell me about the, what happened on the way there. We left home at 6 o'clock because the sun isn't rising now till about 20 to 7 in the morning. We're in New South Wales, Australia. It's the beginning of autumn and our days are getting shorter. The sun is rising later and later. So 20 to 7 was when the sun rose, but we were on the road. In the pitch dark, it was like the middle of the night. Just after six in the morning, weren't we? Driving yes. to our location, which is about 35 minutes away. Yes, and it's down um, some winding country roads, which go through some patches of farmland and bush. And we're driving along, and everyone's a bit sleepy. And all of a sudden, as we're driving along, an enormous kangaroo jumps out of the bushes at the side of the road and hops across the road right in front of us. Oh, my heart nearly stopped. We could, he was almost in the windscreen, wasn't he? He was inches away from the front of the car. And only just managed to get over the other side of the road before we passed along that bit of the road. I thought we were going to hit it. Did you? I was too busy avoiding it to worry about whether we were actually going to hit it. So what did you do? I hit the brakes. <laughs> Luckily, there was no traffic behind us, and he slowed us down enough to let the kangaroo escape to the other side of the road. But, oh, that was a, an experience, wasn't it? Yes, it's one of, one of the many hazards of driving country roads in the dark. All I could think about as we were continuing along the road was, I was so thankful, you know, what could have happened? I was so relieved that morning would have turned out so differently if you had hit that kangaroo. Oh, yes. Kangaroos can do a lot of damage, can't they? Yes. I heard a story of a friend's daughter the other day who hit a kangaroo going at 80k per hour and she turned the car over and wrote the car off and ended up with lacerations on her legs. But she was really lucky that she didn't actually injure herself anymore. It could be a, a life-threatening situation. It could. People have died by hitting kangaroos. 
Dad once hit a kangaroo, didn't he, and rode a car off. Yes, that was a scary experience. I was in the car when that happened. <laughs> I just, you, you do not want to see a kangaroo rolling across the bonnet of your car. No. Luckily, you, nobody was injured, but the car was a write-off. So we finally got to our location, didn't we? We did. And had you come down by then, ready to sing? Yes, I'd, I'd actually almost forgotten about the fact that we'd been scared of the kangaroo. It was just a fun story at that point. The sun rose. And Sophie got the cameras all set up. We decided what angle shots we were going to take. And then you started singing. And tell me how you sync your voice to the video. That's an interesting point. It's a quite a slow, painstaking process of manually moving the video by eye. So f I often have to move it frame by frame to make sure that the sound matches up perfectly with where my lips are. So, but how did you know what rate to sing the song in the first place at the video when we're doing the video shoot? So I have the recording that I've done and mixed earlier and I put that on my iPod and we take that in a mini speaker with us and we give it to Gemma Rose and we hide her in a corner somewhere where the camera can't see her. Behind a tree or something. <laughs> yes. And she plays the music for me and then I just sing along to it so that I'm singing at the right speed, the right words. And when, it, when we come back to it later and I've got the film and I've got the recorded music, then everything will match up and then I can match the video very, very slowly to the, the music. So that's the process. And then Sophie usually takes maybe six uh, angles, doesn't she? She sets up two cameras, doesn't she, at a time? Yes. At different angles. You sing the song, she records the song from those angles, then she rearranges the cameras you sing it again from two different angles, and we usually does it a third time, and then you've got plenty of clips to play around with oh, yes. in the editing process. We come home and start the editing. But before that, we always have a picnic breakfast, don't we? <laughs> it's a bit of a, a reward for everyone for getting up that early. <laughs> Good job you have a team of people who are willing to do that for you. Get out of bed early in the morning and not even have a shower. Just put the clothes on, get in the car, maybe meet a kangaroo on the way there. <laughs> and arrive at the location just as the sun is coming up early in the morning or bleary-eyed, ready to work for you. Yes, I, I definitely couldn't do it without my team. So it's good fun. You know what I enjoy doing? I enjoy watching you work together with your sisters. I was thinking as you were all doing things the other day, I didn't have much to do. I was sort of flitting around in the background trying to look busy, but really I wasn't needed. Everybody else knew what they were doing. You were confident. You were standing there under the gum tree, singing away as if you're standing on a stage. You weren't self-conscious in the slightest. You just looked like you were doing it for an audience. You didn't pay much attention to us on our cameras. There's Sophie flitting from camera to camera, making sure it's all focused. And I felt in awe of what you could do together. A team of girls, teenagers, young adults, Gemma Rose is only 12. The things that you're working on together, that you have the skills and knowledge to do these kind of things and you know how to collaborate with each other. It's good, isn't it? It's pretty wonderful. Kids can do marvellous things, can't they? Oh, yes. Ne never underestimate what a child can do. So we're coming to the end of this interview, Imogen. I just want to sort of round up that parents worry about trusting their children in the early years, yes? They yes. get to the age of 18, say, and a parent thinks that it's all over. They've done their duty. They don't have to trust anymore. It's all up to their adult, young adult child now. They can go off into the world. It doesn't work that way, does it? 
<laughs> no, no. Unfortunately for the parent, it doesn't work that way. Well, I suppose it could work that way. A lot of parents will push their children out of the door and say, off you go now. But we're not like that. We're going to keep on trusting and keep on offering you help as you set out on your pathway to fulfilling your dreams. We have to keep on trusting. You know where you're going and you're going to actually get there. You might change your mind in the way, you might go down a different pathway, but we've got to keep on trusting you know what you're doing. Do you agree? I think so. I think trust is very important at this stage. And if a parent is willing to keep on trusting their children, they could do marvellous things, couldn't they? Yes. That extra bit of help and support, do you think it makes a difference? It makes all the difference. Without the trust and support of my family, I wouldn't be trying the things that I'm doing now and I wouldn't be able to follow the path that I want to follow. Now, I just want to tell one funny story about Dad. He was saying the other day, what's Imogen doing at the moment? I don't think he thought you were doing a whole heap, because he goes out to school every day, being a school teacher, and we live our unschooling lives at home, and we do all our wonderful things, and he doesn't always see what we're doing, does he? No, he doesn't. He hears snippets of stories, but he hasn't really observed what we're doing. He hasn't been down there on the photo shoots or the video shoots or anything like that. So he sort of said to me, what, you, what is Imogen doing? Is she doing anything? <laughs> I said, oh, of course she's doing something. I said, have you watched her latest videos? And he said he hadn't watched any of them, had he? <laughs> no, he hadn't. So what did we do last night? Oh, we sat him down and sat him in front of the computer and Sophie showed him all my videos and I sort of sat around the corner in case he didn't like them. And then afterwards, what did he say? He was like, do you need any equipment for, for making your videos? <laughs> I think he was rather impressed, wasn't he? And instead of saying, instead of saying, oh, look, you're wasting your time, he wanted to know how he could help. Did you need any more equipment? And Sophie and I took advantage of that, didn't we? We had a quick think about what we could ask for. And Sophie said, well, we could do with a wide-angled lens. <laughs> that would make a difference, especially if we're filming in a close location, like down in the, the bush with all the rocks around us. To have the bigger view would be wonderful. So Dad was really quite open, wasn't he? He wanted to support you. He obviously thought you are doing a great job. So I want to invite people to go over to your YouTube channel. What is it called, Imogen? It's just called Imogen Elvis. Where else can people find you? You can also find me on Twitter at Imogen Elvis and also on Instagram, also under Imogen Elvis. Very easy to remember, <laughs> hey? Let's go over to my YouTube channel, Sue Elvis, and I've got a few videos of you there as well. I've got that interview one that I did about following your dreams. I've also got the post-video shoot interview I did with you a few weeks ago. And... You're going to have another behind-the-scenes video, aren't you, coming out soon? Yes, I'm hopefully going to have one for Scarborough Fair up next week. I've also got my interview that I did. I did another one, didn't I, on Monday while we were having our picnic breakfast. If I can get Sophie to help me put that together, we should have another one. So plenty to watch, hey? Yes. It's all very, very exciting. So thank you for talking with me today, Imogen. I'm always delighted to talk to you and hear about your dreams, but of course, I'm your mother. <laughs> I hope that everybody else out there has found this conversation interesting and helpful as well, because maybe people don't have adult children yet. Maybe they're wondering what it'd be like in the future, how they can support their young adult unschoolers. This is the way we're doing it, isn't it? It is. I'll put some show notes on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'll include all those links to the channels and Instagram and everything else. So I hope you'll pop over to my blog, 
please feel welcome to stop by and say hello, maybe comment on this podcast. You can also find me on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, not Twitter really. I'm there, but I hardly ever pop in. There's just one more thing that I want to say, Imogen. Somebody asked me before Christmas if I'd write a blog post about parenting adult children. I think we could do another podcast interview on that subject, couldn't we? Oh yes, there's a lot that could be said about it. We only just touched on following your dreams, how we can support adult children in that way, but we could talk about faith matters and beliefs, values. I'm not sure what else, but the way a parent can support an adult child who's out there making a life for themselves. You think that might be something we could talk about in the future? I think that would make a great podcast. Okay, we'll think about that, see if we can come up with enough questions that we could discuss on that, how a parent can best support an adult child or relate to that adult child. We don't want to sort of push our way in, do we? And Adult children have got to get out there into the world and make their own lives, but we can still be connected. Yes. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of my podcast. Thank you everybody who has stopped by Facebook or sent me emails or left a comment on my blog with encouraging words to keep this podcast going. It does make a difference. So until next week, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.